John chapter 6, beginning in verse 41. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which come down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He, is, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Keep reading. So we need to read a little bit. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, he hasn't, by the way, or verily, verily, he has not backed off. <laughs> you know, verily, verily, it's, most assuredly, it actually means truly, truly. He's, done, he's actually quadrupling down here. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat The flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. That's a key sentence. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me and I live because of the father so he so he who feeds on me will live because of me that's a key sentence he who feeds on me shall live because of me this is the bread which came from heaven not as your fathers ate manna and are dead he who eats this bread will live forever and these things he said in a synagogue as he taught in Capernaum now and 
bear with me a minute. Let's just read these final few passages of, of this chapter because they may come up. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? It's one of the reasons I want to go ahead and cover because people are still fighting over this passage today. When, when Jesus knew in himself that his, his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. When did he know from? The beginning. What, the beginning of his life on earth when, he, when the word became manifest? No. From the beginning. From in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. From in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. The word was, was God. From the beginning. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Now hold on. Who was it that didn't walk with him anymore? Some of his disciples. What's a disciple? A follower. And Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. But he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Now, that's a lot. And I'll tell you why it's a lot. I'll go ahead and tell you a lot of why it's a lot. This passage of scripture messes with the reformed crowd, Calvinist, once saved, always saved. It messes with Catholicism, big time. It messes with modalism or oneness Pentecostalism, big time. There's probably, there's very few chapters in the entirety of the word of God that packs as much in it that can upset as many people in half a chapter as John chapter 6. But it's in there. 
And Jesus just stomps all over people's stuff. And, and then you have to begin to realize that you're going to have to know more than a few verses to work through these things. From the beginning, it says he, he knew that one would betray him. A disciple, a follower. Hmm. We better pray. Three, we can pray three times in 25 minutes. Lord, we need you tonight. Lord, give us ears to hear. Hearts to receive. Lord, give us clarity of thought and punctuated speech where we, where we can be clear with your word. Lord, help us tonight. We're here to receive of you, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It messes with a lot. How, how, how could one eat of your flesh and drink of your blood. How? This is one of the things, we'll just start here. This is one of the things that where, where Rome, the Catholic Church, Catholicism, goes, <laughs> of all the places in the Word of God to go, into, to, go to literal translation, this is one of the very few that the Catholic system goes to as literal. Most things they will tell you that are figurative or their imagery or they're, they're, they are uh, principles, if you will, of, of godly living. But here, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood becomes a literal translation. Now, I want you to understand something. One of the most important things to know about interpreting the Word of God and reading the Word of God and knowing what you're reading, one of them is to, be, is to read it just like it says and it's literal whenever it can be and should be. And the context demands that it is. And then another, the, but the foremost is Scripture must interpret Scripture. So we do take the Word of God. I'm a literalist. You should be too. But there's places that... He is clearly speaking metaphorically or, or in, in pictures. For instance, well, he's literally, he, uh, is he, I am the vine, you are the branches. Well, Jesus isn't a grapevine. <laughs> and you're not a branch. We understand what he's saying. <laughs> he is, uh, uh, he'll tell you, I am the door. Well, He's the way in, but he's not a door. We understand these things, right? Well, there's a, a, a thought in the world of transubstantiation is the doctrine. What is that? It comes from John chapter 6. You must eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. And that's when you believe when you take communion... That, you, that when you take of that bread, that it literally becomes flesh within you as you partake. And that when they drink of the cup, that it literally becomes blood as you partake. And this is why in the Mass, 
that there is the Eucharist or Holy Communion in every service. Every, every service, we would call it, every, the Mass is literally building up to the sacrifice of Jesus every time you meet. That's the bottom line. Well, there's a problem even with that. The problem with that is that he was sacrificed once and for all. Go read the catechism. I'm not making things up out of my head. It is a, it is called a, a um, what's the word? It's not bloodless. Um, my mind just went blank. It's a re-sacrificing, but it's, it's not a bloodless sacrifice because I believe the cup is the blood. I can't think of the word. But the bottom line is, is the belief is and the, and the doctrine is and the teaching is, is that the mass is the build up to the sacrifice. And that is why the, the, the communion is, is the high mark of, of the service, of, of the event. I don't really want to spend a lot of time here, even though there's a lot of Catholic background in this room. But I will go ahead and say it is important what you believe. And it is important what you believe according to the Word of God. And there's a, there is a uh, damnation that's given to crucifying Jesus afresh and anew, according to the book of Hebrews. It's the Eucharist, yes. That's not the word I'm looking for earlier. But, but, but the Eucharist is, is, is a re-sacrifice. He's died once and for all. Never doing it again. One time. And he's the only one. Hello. It addresses sacrament here. That's important. It's going to become more and more. Well, actually... I could spend a little more time here because we are actually in a time that literally what is happening is as an ecumenical movement is building again. It does this ever so often. But it's, it's, only, it's important now because there is, we are in a time, we know that they're leading up to the great tribulation, which is post-rapture, that we know one thing that's going to happen and there is going to be a one world religion. So to, be a, to have a one world religion Say, if y'all think that, y'all say that a few times. A one world religion, then everybody has to find a point to agree on, and that is, is, uh, that is the definition of ecumenical a blending of belief and religion. No, all roads don't lead to heaven. Come on. Well, I'm, I'm already out here, so I might as well tell you that everything that calls itself a Christian and everything that, that hangs the scripture on something and everything that calls itself a church isn't true. And it matters what you believe. And you ain't going, you ain't going anywhere just because grandma taught this or because <coughs> it doesn't matter who teaches it. It's got to match the word of God. You don't go, you're, you are not saved by sacrament. End of story. Baptism will not save you. Confirmation will not save you. The Eucharist will not save you. 
or anything else. Y'all are quiet. I know this, these are difficult subjects for anybody to talk about. They just are. Because by and large, people don't want to hear it. Because I always say you have to deal with grandma. <laughs> and you know, I was called to deal with true and preach true. And there's no such thing as your true and my true. I addressed this in upstairs and in junior high and senior high Sunday school. There's no such thing as your true and my true. That's a big thing now, your truth and my truth. No, Jesus, this is why he addresses himself as the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It it's not that he has truth. Around him, he is truth. It's not that he is a way to heaven, Oprah. He is the way to heaven. And I always throw her out there because that's the people that, for some reason, the church is still willing to follow that wicked woman. And I want to, I just go ahead and tell you again, she's wicked. Then no believer has any business to even turn the channel, throw the magazine away. It's, it's high time that some preachers in this country started standing up and telling people again, you're going to have to control the input or you're not going to control the output. And, and, there, and there's people that are leading, these are the very people that are leading your, uh, people astray in masses, but we can't find it in ourselves to say they're wicked. See, we think wicked looks like Adolf Hitler and Saddam Hussein. Those kind of wicked, most, anybody in their right mind, anybody in their right mind knows what it is. It's the ones that appear, that, are, that, appear that, that have everything you ever wanted. It's the ones that appear to have it all together. It's the ones that appear to be so, so rational. It's the ones that appear to be so relatable. It's the ones that appear, it's the ones that it says that don't be surprised, but even the devil presents itself as an angel of light. Listen, they are presented, they, this is either presenting truth or it's presented in a false way. It's doctrines of devils is what it is. And it's high time, you say, well, that's extreme. I've, to I've told you a million times, the only thing it takes anymore at all to be extreme is just to know what's true. There's nothing extreme. Uh, I can remember when none of this stuff would even, would even cause people to shrug. And now it'll start a war in a family over, over Thanksgiving dinner. It, it'll cause division in a Pentecostal church. It should not be, it should not even be, it should not even cause a pause to talk about these false ways within a Pentecostal church. The preacher shouldn't even have to worry about it. But the fact of the matter is, is that's where we're at. Because we are inundated with the notion that, you know, as long as you believe something about Jesus... I mean, as long as you go to something that resembles a church, people don't want to accept what's true because you have to deal with it. You, you, you know, you, you get in trouble for saying, you know, Mormons are not Christians at all. At all. It's a cult. Let's say what it is. It's a cult. Jehovah Witnesses are not, are not believers. They're not Christians. It's a cult. Say, that's awful judging. Yeah, the Word judges this stuff. Yeah, some of y'all, y'all nervous. I can see some of y'all are nervous. 
The Word judges this stuff. Oh, they, they, have, they have a book with Jesus in it. Both of them. But they, they believe crazy things. Like Jesus and Lucifer are twin brothers. That would be what? Mormonism. It's an amazing thing. They've never found the golden tablets. Never had any proof that they ever existed. I think the most interesting thing about Joseph's, John, Joseph Smith's discovery, of, was it in Missouri? Did he find them in Missouri? Huh. Well, I, well, he found them in Missouri. I think he ought to show me. Show me. <laughs> Near Springfield. <laughs> Coincidence. <laughs> coincidence. <laughs> That's purely coincidence. I didn't say anything. <laughs> no, that was him. I just laughed. <laughs> I think one of the most interesting things about Joseph Smith's dis- discovery in the Golden Tablets and his writings was that, that it was all in King James English. That's, that's remarkable to me. How could... Do y'all even understand that? He wrote it down that way to make it believable. Duh. I could really upset the world. Am I all right? I, I mean, I'm just breaking a little ground right quick. I could really upset the world. And if you went and done a deep dive into Mormonism and, and to Islam you would find out that they're almost identical. They're, they're, they're almost identical. The only thing that really separates them is the Mormons are not blowing people up. They're just blowing up your doorbell. I was, this is a side note, I was on my first time I went to Africa. I was on a, a flight from Amsterdam to Ghana and there were two young Mormon men beside me and they were going on their two years or whatever whatever it's called and I, I was talking to them a little bit and they were nice young men and they was telling me all about us I knew what they were I mean come on I knew who they were I knew what they were but I was letting them talk and I uh, said so you're going on your two years of yeah 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 I said so you're going to Ghana for that they said yeah yeah and, and uh, I said, you're going to go evangelize in Ghana? I said, yeah. They said, yeah. And I said, well, that's just amazing to me. I said, why is that? I said, because black people didn't have a soul in Mormonism until 1981. I said, until they found out that they were, the country was going to develop and they were going to have money, that as far as Mormonism was concerned, they didn't have a soul. And they looked at me and fell silent. And they had to. Because you know Why? They knew I was right. 1981, they disco- the Mormons discovered Africa. Y'all just know, I make y'all nervous. Look it up. It's true. Jesus deals with a lot of things in, in, in John chapter 6. And when he starts talking about... Notice what he uses, the comparisons, over and over. Three times, I believe, he talks about the manna 
from heaven. He says, I am the manna from heaven. I'm the bread of life. And they thought, they, well, our, our, Moses gave us manna. And Jesus said, Moses didn't give you manna. My, the one who sent me gave you manna. And he said, he said and, and, your, and your ancestors who ate of the manna died. He says, but if, you, but if you eat, I am the bread of life. If you eat of what I'm going to give you, you will live forever. And they went back to it again. The manna from heaven. Let's talk about the manna from heaven just a moment because it's going to be just important. It's, this is, they, are, they are talking and they are using uh, imagery. They're using, they're, it's type and shadow, which is all throughout the word of God. Jesus is the daily bread. Jesus is the manna from heaven. It was it, the, when they, the whole thing about the Passover that brought them out, it was Jesus. Remember we talked about that, what, a month ago, six weeks ago? You know, bring the lamb to your home, a lamb for every household. If you don't have enough in your household, bring another household in with you. Take the lamb, kill it, roast it on the fire. That was the wrath of God falling on the lamb. It says, and eat, eat every, eat all of it. You get, when you get Jesus, you get him all. It says, catch the blood in a basin, strike the doorposts and the lentil of your house. And when you apply the blood, stay in the house. Jesus. And they were brought out by the mighty hand of God. You know that everybody in the land that didn't apply the blood, they died. The firstborn died. And they, and they were brought out. They crossed the Red Sea, remember? And they were supposed to go straight from Egypt to the promised land. That's what they were supposed to do. It's supposed to be 40 days, not 40 years. And they sent into the land 12 spies. They go into the land Ten of, the, ten of the twelve spies saw an unsurmountable obstacle that there's giants. And there were. Were as grasshoppers in their sight. And probably were. But you had Joshua and Caleb that says, oh, there's giants, all right, but we're well able to take the land. Why? Because God gave it to them. That's not that I could stop right here and pick up and spend the rest of the night saying, you need to, this is a place that you need to learn what they didn't learn and to know if God's given you a promise, the obstacles do not matter. It doesn't matter what you face. Now, well, come on, somebody. This is a place that you can get over the Catholicism we just talked about, the Mormonism and the Jehovah's Witnesses, and you can, and other things that we're going to get to, but we can all agree, surely. That we, can, that, we, that, that we need to see what they didn't see. And that what, the, what Joshua and Caleb were able to see was God had given them the land. And what was in the land was irrelevant to God. Was there, was there giants? Yes. Were they as grasshoppers? Uh, see, Tim saw the grasshoppers. Joshua and Caleb saw the grapes. says, so, you know, they, 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 there's grapes there that it takes... It takes two men to haul, haul out a bundle on their shoulders between them. It says it was a land truly flowing with milk and honey. And it was such a command, and, and they believed God so much and so that all that generation died in the wilderness. But when, Joshua, but when it came time to cross the Jordan and go in, that the first thing across the Jordan, Caleb looked to Joshua and says, Give me my mountain. Forty years later, Give me my mountain. Why? Because I believe for it and I get it. God honored it. So there's something that somebody in this room and everybody in this room needs to 
<clears throat> needs to take to heart. If God's given you a promise, and if God hasn't given you a promise, it's because you haven't talked to him. I'll say that again. If God hasn't given you promise, well, one thing, the word is full of promises. And the promise of God are, the promises of God are yes, and in him, amen. That is, that is yes to you, and so be it. The promises of God are yes, and in him, amen. You have promises, and you need to know them. If, God, if, if you've ever been in the, with the Lord in prayer, and you should be, and God has given you promises by his spirit, Consider it done. It ain't no wonder you don't have anything. I'm just going to tell you, it's no wonder we're dead. Because we can't even agree that if God has given you a promise, that it's done. It's a done deal. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. What he has said, he will do it. It doesn't matter what you face. It's just his word. Take him at his word. Quit trying to, you know why, you know why we're stifled? I may not get past this. Do you know why we're stifled? Do you know why we're held back? Because we're trying to figure it out. God has never asked you or me or Moses or, or, or Joshua, Caleb, and the other ten. He never asked them to figure it out. He asked them to, to go take the land. Do it. I said it, so do it. God, God, God didn't mind them going into the land, but he, wasn't going into the, he wasn't going into the land to take, a, to take an opinion poll on whether they could do it or not. What are you going to believe him for? Let's just, let's just park there a while tonight. What are you going to believe him for? What has he given you? What has he told you? This would be a good place for somebody in there. Surely out of 60 people, somebody in their stream has a promise from God. Surely. What has he promised you, Matt? Go ahead and cash the check. <laughs> Go ahead and cash the check. Who else? Somebody, surely somebody's got a promise from God. Well, then we need to have a prayer meeting. And people in Mag Church need to learn how to pray, and they need to learn how to fast, and they need to learn to hear from God. If, if one person in this room has a promise from God, then we, then we got problems. Who's got, who's got a promise from God? He's promised you your grandchildren. Don't look at the mountains. Look at the promise. Amen. What else? Do not be afraid, neither be dismayed. For every place that the sole of thy foot has touched, treads upon, is yours. It's yours. Who else? Who can be against you? What else? God is not what? Giving me a spirit of fear. But a power, love, and a sound mind. 
has stayed on me. He will keep you in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on me. When you turn the television channel on and the world has gone crazy, and I'm going to double down, triple down, and quadruple down. I'm telling you, we are coming into a season this year that you're going to turn on the television with your mouth open, and it's going to be shocking. And I'm talking about that will rattle you, your teeth to their roots if you don't know who's in charge. And I'm going to tell you that you're going to need to know that he will keep you in perfect peace they whose mind is stayed on you. You're going to have to know it, Mag. It's going to, see, I didn't come nearly five years ago so people could say, boy, he sure knows a lot of Scripture. I came so I could teach you what the Word says so you could believe the Word, so you could get in the Word, so you can pray, and so you can believe God in the Word and stand in the storm. That's why. What are the promises that He's given you? You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, all, all of Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. That is a place that you will be able to stand in the face of death. You know that 120 people went to that room, including the, the, some women and the mother of Jesus. And you, do you know, I was reading just this week, just actually just this morning. That the men in that room, that all of them, save John the Revelator, died to martyrdom. All of them. You know what else they did? They turned the world upside down. You know what else they did? That, that it was them that is why you are sitting in this room tonight. It is them the reason that we have the hope of heaven. It is them the reason that they evangelized the world. Now, he's not a religious Jesus. See, that, 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 that thinking that your salvation is in a piece of bread and a, and a sip of wine is dead religion. It's not what he's talking about, that they eat, the eat of my body and drink of my blood shall have eternal life. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's not talking about, he's not talking about a Eucharist. When he told us to take, to, to take that bread and break it and that wine and drink it. And it was, it's, a, it's, not, it's not a salvation. It is a memorial to what he's already, the, to what at the time he was about to do. And he says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance. What is that? A memorial to what he's done. Do you know what's going to happen at the marriage supper of the Lamb? It isn't going to be biscuits and gravy all that. I wouldn't be opposed It's not going to be the best Houston Mexican food you ever ate either. It's not going to be any of that stuff. Do you know what's going to happen at the marriage supper of the Lamb? He's going to stand before the bride. And he's going to raise the bread and say, and break it again and say, this is my body. He's going to raise the cup again. He's going to say, this is the New Testament in my blood. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to be a testament and a memorial of the, the way you got here, that you are standing here today saved for eternity because of the body and the blood. That's what it's going to be about. It's not about a religious rote. You can eat unleavened bread until... You can't eat anymore. And if you don't know him, 
you won't have anything. That picture in the wilderness, so when they got into the wilderness, you, you know that they, they, that they were called out, they crossed the Red Sea, and now they're wondering. And what did they have? What fed them for 40 years? Manna from heaven. The bread from heaven. What was it? Uh, you go out and you pick it up every day. Every day you pick up enough for that day. Except on the day before the Sabbath, and you pick up enough for the Sabbath, for the day of rest. And if you, and if you got more than your daily supply, it, it rotted. It would go bad in their teeth. Right? And I, you, you let me tell you what, why do they keep talking about the manna? Because it was daily provision. Why did he, I am the bread of life. He's, he's talking about you eat of me, you drink of me, then, the, then you're going to have life. They kept going back to the manna. When, when they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. What did he say? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What did he say? What's his request? Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us. Let's just say what it is. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What do we need? A daily bread. It's a daily bread. It's a daily bread. It's a daily bread. It's a, it's a life. Mm-mm-mm. Let me read something real quick. Let me see if I can lay my eyes on it as quick as I can talk about it. Verse 57. As living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Back up to verse to 57. And the living Father sent me, and I live because the Father who has sent me. Who, so he who feeds on me. Now let me ask you a question. It's right there. It's, it's, been, there. it's been there all your life. That's been there all your life. It was there when Tyndale translated it. <laughs> it, was there, it was there when it was the Latin Vulgate. Before it was ever in English. It was there. It was there when it was in Aramaic and in Greek. It was there. It's been there your whole life. What is it? So he who feeds on me will live. I'm wondering if anybody sees it. Feeds on me. That is continually ongoing without ceasing it's not a one time event it is a life it is a lifetime of faith it is a lifetime of in him he feeds on me (laughs) this is why Paul said King James translated to those of us that are saved says this preaching of the cross is foolishness 
But he goes, he says it's, it's, a, it's a stumbling block to the Greek, or it's a stumbling block to the Jews, an offense. He just, he just asked them, it's the Jews he's talking to, are you offended? Paul wrote, he said, it's a stumbling block, an offense to the Jews. It's foolishness to the Greeks. But to those of us, King James says, that are saved, it's the power of God. New King James translates it a little different, and it's actually more accurate. It's to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. I am being saved. Boy, it got quiet. Jeff, it's quiet. I'm being saved. Every moment that I live, that my faith is in him, that I'm looking towards him. He's he's looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I'm being saved. I am justified. I am being sanctified. That's a progressive work by faith in the cross. And I am not yet, and nor are you yet, glorified. The work was finished at Calvary. It's a lifetime in us. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know how quick we'll, we'll get past a few of these things. Because I can see that this is, even in this room... Among the Wednesday night crowd in a full gospel church, that this is challenging. Our theology. This is how long it has been since the Word has been taught. <laughs> you say, I ain't challenging my theology. I don't have any theology. I don't, I don't ain't much on theology. I love when people say that. I ain't much on theology. Everybody has theology. Everybody. Just like everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody, without exception. Everybody. I told you those twin boys at nine months old, they got a worldview. Their worldview is, this is I'm at Pop's house, I'm getting what I want. And I said, amen. Their worldview is, is if I cry this way, they'll come do this. And if I holler that way, they'll come do that. They got a worldview. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a theology. A theology is, is literally a system of what you learn and what you think you know about God. Everybody, everybody has theology. And your theology can be based on anything. But if your theology is not grounded in the Word of God, then your theology is worthless. You're told junior high, senior high, said, you know, you're, well, when it comes to the Word of God, your opinion in $3 nowadays will buy you a Coke. And you're going to need every bit of that $3, so your opinion is not worth anything. We'll sell you one for $2 down the Coke machine, but then you're going to want a candy bar. And, you know, opinion doesn't matter. 
He's, he, he is dead. You, what, you, what you're probably not realizing is, as as uptight as this making this room, that's exactly what Jesus was doing to this bunch of Jews. He was rattling their cage. He was ray in live and in living color. He was rattling the Jewish leadership's cage over what they thought about God and what that coming Messiah was going to be and who he was. He was, he was literally doing what I'm doing tonight and challenging everybody's way of thinking. Their tradition is what it is. He was challenging their tradition, and their tradition was out of line with, with the Word of God that they thought they believed. He said, you have Moses and the prophets, and you still don't know who I am. We ought to be challenged because you know what? If we, if we don't, there's going to be some things that, that it's going to matter. It ain't getting any better in this room. It's not getting any better. There's things we got to have right. There's, Jeff, there's things we got to have right. You've got to have it right. You've got to have it right. Every you in this. you got to have it right. There's things you're going to have to have right. That's, this is why Jesus said that it would be many in that day many in that day will say to me Lord Lord didn't I prophesy in your name didn't I do miracles in your name and it said and that Jesus is speaking here and I want to ask people what they think it means he says but I will say to you depart from me you worker of iniquity I never knew you I never knew you now I got a question what do you think that means I wrote a, what do you think it means on, on uh, Sunday? So what, uh, when people read it, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, when it talked about the day that perilous times would come in the last days, and he went to describing how, the, how society was going to look, and he says that men would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I said, what do, pe- what do you think people think that means? If you, throw, if you put that out there today, what do you think that means? Men will be lovers of pre- pleasure rather than lovers of God. I'll tell you what it means. It means men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's what it means. It means exactly what it says. What do you think it means when Jesus said that there'll be many on that day that say to me, Lord, Lord, he'll say, depart from me. I, don't, I never knew you. Many. I got some, cha- I, I don't, I'm, I, I'm, I've had some challenging thing cross my mind this week. We're, we're not in the days of sissified religion. I'm going to tell you that right now. That may be a politically incorrect word, but that's okay. Because I'm going to tell you, we're not in the day. We're not facing the days of sissified, tippy-toe through the tulips Christianity. Really never have been. But let me ask you a question. I like questions. In Matthew 24, I believe it is, when Jesus says this, because you remember that the mark of the last days, of, of the, because the disciples come to him, he says, when is all these things going to happen? Remember? And, and he, says, he says, you know, let no man deceive you. 
First, the, 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 first, the answer was deception. And then he goes down and tells her everything that's going to happen. Remember? Wars, rumors, wars, all those things, you know. And then he gets down and he says there's a little interesting thing in there I want to talk about in just a second. He says, and about all of these things, he says, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. If it were possible. If it were possible. Now, I want, I want you to think about what Jesus says here. If it were possible, during this time of deception that he was telling was going to come, how will you recognize it? Don't be deceived. What, did Paul, what, what was Paul's concern for the, for, the, for the last day's church? Deception. What was Peter's concern for the last day's church? Deception. What was Jude's concern for the last day's church? Go read Jude tonight before you go to bed. It's just one page long. Go find out what his concern was. Deception. That was the Lord's concern, Paul's concern, Peter's concern, Jude's concern, James's concern. He says, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. If, it, if it's, if it's going to be such a time of deception, of, of delusion, that even if it, it was so crafty that even the elect, if it was possible, could be deceived, what in the world would that say about the casual believer? What would that say about the Christian, the carnal Christian? What would that say about the, just the religiously motivated, the traditionalist? What would that say about the person who, who had no prayer life, who, had, who knew nothing of the Word of God, save what they, they get on Sunday, maybe, or what Grandma told them? Now, Scott, I think that's been a pretty powerful thought all week. I think it's a powerful thought. And it's probably a thought that most people do not want to deal with, but yet it's in there. So I'm going to ask you. If it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. Hmm. What the writer says, if the, if the, if the righteous scarcely be saved. Yet the righteous scarcely be saved. Now this is not a thread the needle Christianity. It's whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is, it is, is if you, you walk with the daily bread. You walk with the daily bread. That, but that's the thing. You have to get, when he's addressing himself as the word, as the bread of life, it, the bread is the word, and the word is the bread. It, it, when he goes to address these things, it is a, a continuing, ongoing, daily relationship. I told it deal, this, this, I, 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 don't, I don't have time to go into it heavily tonight. I could go back through everything we just read and you're going to see it deals very heavily with a continuing relationship with God.
And it, and, it, and it goes all the way down to talking about his disciples, even here, were walking away. It goes all the way down to it says that 12 of you I have called and one of you is a devil. And the Reformed theology would teach you that, that Judas was never one of them. But the Word of God would tell you completely different. By now, Judas has already been out when they were sent out two by two, witnessing, prophesying, doing miracles together. And the, the psalmist is who wrote that there would be one who would, he would hit it at my heel and he would dip his bread with me. It was the prophecy. It was, a, it was like everything, like all of God's plan. It was known and in place and ongoing before the foundations of the world. It didn't have to be Judas. It didn't have to be. Judas could have stayed true to the one who called him. Just like Paul on the opposite. You know, they elected Matthias, but God chose Paul. <laughs> Do you know that? When, when Judas was gone, Matthew chapter 1, they're going, they're going to, and Acts chapter 1, they're going to, they're going to Acts chapter 1, they're going to deal with replacing Judas, and they're going to have a little, they're going to draw lots and pick uh, Matthias. Fine. Acts chapter 8, after 9, God chooses Saul. How do I know that God chooses Saul? Go down to the street called Straight and find this man. He says, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. He said, go down and show him the things which he must suffer for the gospel's sake. It says immediately, Paul preached Christ. Well, see, he was chosen. Yeah, it was pre he was predestined. He sure was. He was called before the foundation of the world to be the appointed apostle. You know what Paul could have done? Rejected the call. He could have said, absolutely not. I'm not doing it. Well, I don't believe that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Because the gospel is still whosoever will. And it's not whosoever won't. Oh. <laughs> it's, it makes me it's one of those nights where I wish I had another hour and a half and you're glad I don't. But we can pick it up later and we'll because we're just going to have to address these things. Because I'll just tell you flat out, I'm not trying to make, I'm not trying to make enemies. Okay, you hear me? I'm not trying to upset anybody's apple cart or anything. My motive is to preach the word. My motive is to teach the word in context correctly to whoever whoever will hear it that's my I'm not I'm not here to I'm not trying to pick fights or anything I'm, in fact I won't fight with you over it it's the word of God it's damnable doctrine it's damnable doctrine to believe that we serve a God who condemned people before they were ever born to hell 
There, that, that it runs contrary to everything this book says from Genesis 1 and 1 to Revelation 23, 21. It, it runs against the very nature of God. No, you don't understand. I taught, I, I don't I can't even remember how long ago it's been. I, one of the first things I taught when I was teaching maybe through Romans was about the nature of God. You got to know his nature. You know his nature through his word. When you learn his nature, when you learn who he is and his attributes, he never, he never, he never violates his nature. He, he is who he is, and you can count on it. And it is against, he is the, he is the God of life. And to believe a theology that says that there, that there, that there is a, that, that God has, a, has selected and elected people for heaven and elected and selected people for hell before they were ever born runs contrary to his very nature. It is a damnable lie. And in the same vein of, 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 of predestination and election is irresistible grace. And uncondemned, listen, we're really going to tread on, we're really going to go where angels fear to tread for just a minute. This preacher believes, here, let me upset the, let me upset the Pentecostals first. By the way, we're in a Pentecostal church by now, you ought to all be Pentecostals. I just call them Christians. Uh, I, truly, I do. I, I, Pentecostal, uh, that's, a, that's a neat label. We kind of know what it talks about, but that's actually just a Christian. That's just the book of Acts. That's just what God intended for every, for every believer. We're not talking about hair and makeup here. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about hair, hair and makeup or the lack thereof. We're not, we're, not talking about, we're not talking about sleeves and skirts here. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the full gospel of God. We're talking about that you're saved by the blood of Jesus, that you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, that the gifts of the Spirit are still for today, and God is still God, and, and it is who He's always been and always will be. That's just a Christian. That's just a Christian, and it's for everybody. People still resist, and that's good for you, but not good for me. You're resisting the Word of God. You're not, you're not kicking against me. You're kicking against God. It's His plan. It's his plan for every believer. He never intended you to go into this world powerless. I'm sorry, but no, I'm not sorry. I'm glad he didn't. He didn't, he never intended for you to go in this world powerless. And I'll go ahead and say it would be against his nature if he, if he gave this, this special outpouring and, and power to the first century church and to the apostolic age and he didn't give it and it, and it wasn't intended for everybody because he's no respecter of persons. And he never changes. I mean, it, 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 y'all, it's, it's either one way or the other. I, got, I, I, I put, put, put a marker there because I got to come back to it. Uh, but let's talk about that a second. He, he, cannot, he cannot have done all this stuff for the first century church and be Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me, I didn't say that right. He cannot only have done these things for the apostolic age. 
The baptism in the Holy Spirit, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, all the things that, that, that people want to argue over today that, you know, the, the, uh, a great huge portion of Christendom says ended with the apostles. That cannot be true. And Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever be true at the same time. It cannot, it, it's impossible. It's impossible. So, e- so either... Either that is true and, and Jesus is not the same and so, so the Bible is wrong and God's a liar. I'm just trying to paint it as clearly as you can because I want you to understand you've got to pick, you pick a spot. That's the, that's, the, that's the thing in this age we live in today. People, can just, people think they can just have it any old way they want to. And you've got to pick a spot. The word, let me say it a different way. The preacher don't demand you pick a spot. The Word demands that you pick a spot. If you're going to believe what the book says, you've got, if I said, do you believe in, in this room, if I held it up and I was John Osteen, not to be confused with Joel Osteen, if I stood and says, this is my Bible, I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can, I believe what, and today I will be taught the word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, infallible, inerrant, ever living seed of the word of God. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody say, yay! It's either all those things or it's not. It either is or it isn't. But I'm going to tell you, those, things can, those two things cannot coexist. Cessationism and, and, the, and the word being true cannot, cannot coexist. It's either one or it's the other. It's, it's, either, it's either is or isn't. Uh-uh. I'm telling you, Matthew, Matthew or John chapter 6... I mean, Jesus is, well, that's what he's in. He's up in the middle of all the religious tradition. And he's just, he's just kicking idols. Messing with traditions. Upsetting people. He was going to go, the very next chapter, he was going to go one way, but decided he better go the other because they wanted to kill him over there. And I want to remind you, they didn't, they didn't kill Jesus because everybody loved him. Was it Ravenhill? Was it Ravenhill that said, was it Ravenhill or, I think it was Ravenhill, or, or Tozer, but I think it was Ravenhill. Was it Ravenhill that said uh, that if, 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 if the apostles had preached the same gospel we preached, or Jesus would have preached the same gospel we preached today, they would have never crucified him. Because, right. <laughs> you know, he, he painted them in corners. That's what he did. He painted them in corners. He's doing what I just did. He's, he's saying, you can't have it. You can't have it both ways. You had to pick one. You had to pick one. Let God be true. I'm going to tell you, let God be true. Let every man be a liar. I, I, the Bible has a problem with easy believism. Now, getting saved simple. It is. It's not complicated to come to God. But contrary to popular belief, you've got to stay saved. Now, I don't, you don't have the power to stay saved. It's still His power. It's, you know, when people, it's funny how people can read the same verse and come away with a different conclusion. You know, unto Him who is able to keep me from falling. Jude. 
He is able to keep me from falling. <laughs> uh, or, you know, that the, I am persuaded that in either height nor depth, Romans 8, that nothing, that nothing shall separate me from the love of God. You're right. Nothing shall separate me from the love of God. You know why? Because Paul was persuaded. Now, yeah, y'all, I, I don't know if, if, you're, if you're learning, if you're mad, if you don't know what to think, if, you're, I'm, all, if I'm too many places for you all in one. I don't know. You know, you know why nothing can separate Paul from the love of God? Because he was persuaded. Is it still Romans 8 where he says, you know, the famous go-to, that no man, can, no one can pluck me from his hand? Is that in there? You know what? That is absolutely, a, it's absolutely a fact. That is absolutely a fact, Brother Steve. There ain't nobody. Go through it. Go read Romans 8. He is talking about every external force that can come against a human being. Then he is fully persuaded that none of these things. It's the same Paul in Acts chapter 20 that talked about when they were trying. All the persecutions, all the perils, everything they'd done to try to kill him. And he says, none of these things move me. Same Paul. Why is that? Because he's persuaded. Oh. There's nothing externally. Y'all can all gang up on me tonight and try to pull me out of Christ. You ain't going to get me out. Is it Hebrews 10 that deals with this? Making my own head hurt. I think so. Let me look. Give me just a second and I'll find it. Is it Hebrews 10? Hebrews 10? Hebrews 10? Is it Hebrews 10? Uh, maybe. Let's look at Hebrews 10 real quick. I'm hot. Give me a second because I'm trying to pull it out of the air. That's it. That's <laughs> what I'm looking for. 1023. Well, and all there's other places in Hebrews. Let's just read it. 10, let's read it 1019. Hebrews 1019. Do I throw too much on Wednesday night? 
Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up our love, the love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another as much more as we see the day approaching. There's a little thing in there, a little place that says, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast our confession. I believe it's in Colossians that Paul wrote that says that if we continue, if we, if we continue in the faith. There's a lot in this little passage in Hebrews 10. Now, Kenneth Weist, anybody ever heard of Kenneth Weist? Anybody, anybody ever in here ever heard Kenneth Weist referred to? Now, all y'all people that have a good Baptist background ought to have heard of Kenneth Weist. Because Kenneth Weist was a Baptist scholar, considered almost universally the best Greek scholar of the last hundred years, for sure. Maybe not ever, if not ever. And Kenneth Weist talks about in Hebrews. <laughs> he actually, I said, his commentary is in my office. He actually wrote about that yes, that the, that the Hebrews, that the Jews could, could apostatize and turn their back on God and walk away from the faith, according to Hebrews 9 and 10. <laughs> and he went on to write, but only Jews and only then. Now that's a stretch even for a scholar. Because the scholar should know that the that the Hebrews was written to the Jewish believers. <laughs> Not to the Jewish religious system. And it's either whosoever will or it's not. And it's, and it's either the same for everyone or it's not. It can't be both. I'm going to have to pick it up. You know, frankly, of course, the, John 6 for the last four weeks or so has led in different directions when I've got in there. But I, I, I have to tell you that I have avoided some of the things of John. Y'all don't believe I avoid anything. I have avoided some of the, the, what I knew would have to be. I was either going to have to skip it and not touch it or just drink some Maalox and plow through. Because it's going to, it, it's going to deal with Reformed theology. It's going to deal with once saved, always saved. And it's going to deal with, with modalism. And that's all there is to it. What is modalism? We're not, we're not even going to go there tonight. But what is, what is modalism? It's where, it's where you get the idea of a oneness doctrine. And it deals with it. So we're going to deal with it. With everybody understanding. Smile. 
then we're just going to take what the Word of God says. And we ain't going to argue. For one thing, we should understand where we're at. By where we're at, I mean we're we're not in a Catholic church. We're not in a Dutch Reformed church. We're we're not in a Baptist church. We're not in an apostolic church. Well, that's not true. We are in an apostolic church. We're just not not in a oneness apostolic church. And so you shouldn't be shocked. But we're also not going to fight. Because there's nothing to fight about. What we're going to do is teach this word systematically and methodically and deal with it honestly. Is that what we're here for? Yes. You know what? You know who else? You know who else? Who asked? Get me, because I'm closing, for real. I've done all the damage I can do in one night. Do you know what I have to do every time I go into my office and crack this book? I have to deal with what the word says, and I can't. I can't read it through my upbringing it would be real easy to do that I can't read it through denominationalism I can't read it through uh, uh, western eyes western eyes (laughs) if you do that you're going to get it wrong and my goal all can I ask you really in this place in this place Do you just want to know what the Word says and get it right? Could there be anything more important than to just get it right? And I will go ahead and say right now, while we're about to walk out the door, none of these, nobody is saying, nobody in the reform movement is all missing heaven. Although some will. That anybody in the, in the oneness movement is all going to hell and missing heaven. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that people, none of that. But all of these things contain doctrines that can and will cause people to miss heaven. Because you, you can have a lot, I've said it a million times, I'm going to say it again tonight. You can have a lot of things wrong if you've got Jesus right. But if you don't have Jesus right, then nothing else matters. Do you understand that? I suspect that there's not a one that's walked in shoe leather that's going to get to heaven who had perfect doctrine. But there's some things that when you just deal with it from Genesis to Revelation methodically, and honestly, that it will deal with itself. And I have to accept what's true, no matter what I've been raised in. The biggest detriment we have as Americans and as Christians is our tradition and how we've been raised. And God's not going to ask us that. The Bible's right. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. For the truth of your word. 
Lord, your word is truth and it is life. Lord, help us to understand. But Lord, more than that, help us walk in it and live in it. Lord, move in us and in this church. Lord, I am praying it is my fervent daily prayer that their spirit fall and reign in Mag Church. Lord, that, there, that there, there, there comes a freshness of the Spirit and a zeal that would impact this entire body of believers. Lord, that you would shake us out of our complacencies and, and, our, and our molds and our traditions. And Lord, empower us by your Spirit for the time that it is at hand. And use us to touch this world and this region with your gospel, the full gospel the true gospel. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.